0: So there was this uh, couple in their 90s who moved into the uh, assisted living. And uh, from the the, the day they arrived, the manager of the home noticed how the husband was speaking to, to the wife. Every time he spoke to her, darling, this, sweetie, that, honey, baby, dolly. And the manager, he never, he never saw something like this. So, uh, when the wife was at her uh, physical therapy appointment, the manager went over to the husband, and he says, how long have you been married to your wife? He says, "Uh, we've been together 70 years. He says, wow. And you still speak to her that way. Honey, sweetie, baby, darling, dolly. He says, I want to be honest, can't remember her name. Okay. So I I actually, what I heard someone mentioning, or I heard in the murmuring before, uh, just a moment ago before we started class, someone says, oh, a new class, it's so exciting. Right? A new class, anything new is exciting. So on your honeymoon, to say, honey, sweetie, baby, darling, dolly, it's new, it's fresh, it's exciting. It's to be expected. But after 70 years of marriage, to say, honey, baby, sweetie, darling, dolly, it's a little bit harder. Why am I speaking about this? Right now we're in the month of Elul and I want to talk about the month of Elul and then at the end we'll tie it into the Parsha which is uh, Kisei Chodesh Elul, the month, the Hebrew month known as Elul is the 12th month of the Hebrew calendar. There are 12, month, 12 months out of the year. So it's the final month of the year and It is known as a month for accounting and stock taking and teshuva, turning over a new leaf. And uh, on, on a practical level, it makes sense because, you know, it's the end of the year. It's just before a new year. And I think I heard somebody once say uh, about Elul, repent early and beat the high holiday rush. Right. So on a practical level, it makes sense that we're stocktaking and we're looking into penitence uh, during this month. But on a mystical level, there's an even deeper significance. And that is, we know that all the different times of the year in the Jewish calendar have different energies. Each each time has a different energy. And different times therefore are propitious for different modes of serving Hashem. Like for instance um, the energy of freedom of setting yourself free from limitations and constraints in your service of Hashem. That would be on Pesach. right? Or, uh, you know, hidden miracles, seeing the miraculous in, uh, in, in nature. That would be Purim, right? And so on and so forth. Every um, holiday has its special energy. And Elul, the whole month of Elul, has a special energy. In that it is a time, the Kabbalists say, of his Galus Yud Gimomidis Harachamim. It is a time of revelation of the 13 attributes of mercy. So it's not just that it's the end of the year and we're doing stock taking. It also happens to be an exceedingly propitious time for stock taking and penitence because. There's a revelation of Hashem's mercy, which means it makes it easier. Anyone who wants to get a new lease on life will find it easier. Will be able to ride the wave, so to speak, of that energy that's available during that month. Okay. Now, the question is, being that... Yud Gim Mira Midas the 13 Attributes of Mercy, are exceedingly lofty. They're a very lofty level of spirituality. To, to the extent that they can even provide forgiveness for having failed in adhering to Torah. So in other words, the, the level of divinity which can forgive you for going against Hashem's will has to be an even higher level than Hashem's will. Or, I would say, a higher level of will. There's the will that He wants you to keep the the Torah, and then there's the will that He wants to forgive you even when you didn't keep Torah. So that's a very high level. When that happens, when the world has that energy available, you would think, if you knew anything about Jewish time, and how Jews mark time, if I were to tell you there's this pocket of time, happens to be a whole month, but there's this pocket of time where this incredibly high lofty level of divine energy is revealed in the world, based on everything we know about Jewish time and the Jewish calendar, what would you guess, what would you assume would be the status of such a chunk of time? What, when we have special times, what do we do? Or uh, I'll, I'll phrase the question differently. What do we not do when there's a special time? When we have a yom tov? Huh? Malacha, we don't do labor. Why? It's very simple. When there's a special energy in the world, we don't want to be distracted with our everyday stuff because it all we, we, we want to maximize, we want to capitalize on the availability of this special energy. So anytime there's special energy in the world, like on a, on a, on a Yom Tif, we refrain from the ordinary, from the Choyl, and we delve into a uh, spiritual mode so we can focus just on that energy. Okay, And, and being that's the pattern throughout the Jewish year, the question becomes... How come the entire month of Elul is Choyl? It's mundane, it's a regular, there's no Yom Tif. I mean you have Shabbos, but Shabbos is unavoidable every seven days. But you don't have a Yom Tif, you don't have that cessation from Malacha. Like think about the next month after Elul, which is Tishrei. It's all Yom I mean, you, 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 you ever had to uh, work at a, you know, a non-Jewish company? And, tishrei, and explain to them how many days you have to take off and when. I thought you just had a holiday last week. I can have another holiday. So, how come Elul is this special time where you have the Yud Gimam the 13 attributes of mercy revealed? There's this special energy where if you want to do Teshuvah and you want to start your life brand new, it's exceedingly easy. And, and yet, we continue business as usual, we stay in the fray of our day-to-day lives. Yeah? Well, Ritab said that that this energy that exists for us to be able to repent and tap into, that being there is therefore we need to have a greater energy of Hashem wanting us to do His will, so we need to be doing. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. So we have to be doing His will, but... um, you know it could be like a yamtiv where his will is like on rosh Hashanah. let's use that as an example so we have we have a mitzvah of shofar on rosh Hashanah. so we could be given a mitzvah to do we could do something for him but it could be a holiday type observance and this there's no holidays and there's no special mitzvahs and no special observances but if you want to i did hint to it already but, but before i explain to you or i Decode it for you. I'm, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you the parable. It's a well-known parable, but it's worth sharing. It's a parable from the Alter Rebbe, from the Balatanya, um, in Lekutei Torah, Parsha A. and it's about a king, a king who is returning to the capital city where his palace is located, and he's heading through the field. You know, outside of the walls of the city, there are are fields. There's open areas. And once the king will get into the city and he'll go into his palace, if you want to see him, you need an appointment. And not everyone will get an appointment. You have to be somebody. You have to have credentials. However, on the way to the city while the king is still walking through the field anyone who wants can just walk over to the king and they can even make requests of the king and without any special preparation you walk up to the king in your regular work clothes and your regular work mode and the king receives you with a smiling face and a cheerful countenance. So what's that a metaphor for? It's a metaphor for Elul. That when the king gets to his palace, that's the High Holidays. And in order to go approach the king when he's in his palace and the High Holidays, you need to really be worthy of it. But if you can catch the king before he gets into the palace, when he's walking through the field, then you can approach him where where you are right now. The Alter Rebbe uses this parable to explain the contradiction of the month of Elul. Is Elul an ordinary time or an extraordinary time? By the way, I'm going to give you a tip. Any time in Judaism we ask is it A, or is it B? The answer will be C. C, yeah, okay, right. Like the husband and the wife, they came to the Rav to complain about their shalom bias issues. At first the husband said his, his side of the story, the Rav said to him, you're right. The wife said, hold on, what about my side? He says, tell me your side. She says her side, the Rav says you're also right." And the Rav's own wife, the Rebetzin, was walking by, she overheard. And she said, they can't both be right. And he said, you're also right, okay. (laughs) But the, the idea here is paradox. Paradox is a very Jewish concept. If we say something is one thing or the other, then it's limited. Okay, godliness is infinite, it's unlimited, and that's why often, very often, <coughs> godliness will express express itself in our lives as a paradox, as something that cannot be limited as either or. Mm-hmm. So I'll ask the question, is Elul an ordinary time or an extraordinary time? Both, yeah. It's both, yes, yes, it's both. And that is the essence of Teshuvah. That is the essence of Teshuvah. Anybody can say, honey, baby, sweetie, darling, dolly, on the honeymoon. When everything is fresh and everything is new, so everything is exciting and precious, and you don't want to taint it whatsoever. You want to preserve it and keep it pristine. When you're in a special situation or a new situation, so it's easy to be sensitive, extra sensitive. Teshuvah means. that even in my regular day-to-day life, even in the situation that I've been in thousands of times before, and maybe have become numb to, and I lost my sensitivity there, in the same place where I lost my sensitivity, I become sensitive again. In other words, if you say that I'm feeling especially sensitive to, to, to godliness, to God's will because I'm in an unusual or an extraordinary situation that's not Teshuvah because that doesn't mean I've changed that means I'm in a special situation but if I'm in a regular day-to-day situation that I've been in thousands of times before and yet I'm behaving differently I'm thinking differently I'm feeling differently that means that I have changed. I have become a new person, which is the essence of teshuvah. I remember um, Rabbi Doctor Twersky, A.J. Twersky. So he said, in the Rambam, in Maimonides, it says that about teshuvah is a new person. He's a new person. He's not the same person. What does it mean that somebody adequately did Teshuva, That he repented? He's a new person. So, uh, Rabbi Dr. Torsky said he never completely understood that notion until he was sitting in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and he heard a guy who'd been sober for many, many years sharing with the group and the guy says the man I was used to drink the man I was will drink again thank God I am NOT the man that I was in other words (laughs) that person that I used to be he still does the things that he did the reason I don't do those things today isn't just because I didn't get around to it, you know, or I'm even being careful not to do it. I'm not the same kind of person. I'm not the I'm not that guy. I changed. That's why I don't do it. I don't do it because I've changed what I, I desire, I've changed what I am attracted to, I've changed what, what my priorities in life are, I've changed what what, what matters to me. And consequently, my, my my behavior is also different. That's the essence of Teshuvah. I am a different person today. So I'll tell you a story. There was a chassid in Crown Heights. Reb Zalman Gerari, of And he was once going on a business trip. And uh, he headed to JFK. And when he got there, he found out that the plane was cancelled, it was an international flight, there were no other flights that day and uh, they, were, they were rebooking him on the next flight which was tomorrow. So, uh, I don't know if anyone ever heard of the Tzavah of Rabbi Yehuda HaChassid, but uh, the Tzavah, the will and testament of Rabbi Yehuda HaChassid has different uh, customs that uh, many people are stringent to keep. One of them is that if you leave the house for a trip, you shouldn't go back to the house unless you've actually gone on your trip. So. Rabbi Grari was at JFK. The, the, the plane is canceled. He's not going to be able to fly till the next day. So he had a question. Is he allowed to go back home? Or, if, if necessary, maybe he'll rent a hotel next to the airport, as ridiculous as that would be, instead of going back to Brooklyn, <coughs> and, and, and then he'll fly out the next day. So he wasn't sure what to do, so he called the Lubavitcher Rebbe's secretariat, <coughs> and he asked the Rebbe's chief secretary, Rabbi Kharakov, what should he do in this situation? So Rabbi told Rabbi Gerari to hold on one moment and he came back on the line and he gave over the instructions from the Rebbe. He said, you should learn a chapter of Tanya and then go home. Because if you learn a chapter of Tanya, you are no longer the same person you were. So when you go back home, it's not you going home, it's a new person who hasn't yet been there, so it's not considered going back. It's like you're there for the first time. So that's what, he, what Rabbi Grari did. He went to a, a base medrash, and he sat down, he learned a chapter of Tanya. <clears throat> then he went home, slept for the night, and the following day, he set off for his trip. Before he left the house in the morning, he gets a phone call. He answers it, and it's Rabbi Harukov, the Rebbe's chief secretary. And he's sort of surprised to be getting this call. Rabbi Harukov says to Rabbi Gerari, the Rebbe wants you to know, as das was erhot gesagt nachten, this, what he told you, what he said yesterday. He meant this, literally. You shouldn't take it as a cute, what do you say, uh, like a pithy or a cute uh, statement. In other words, the Rebbe was saying, it's not a trick. It's not a, you know, a gimmick. When you learn a chapter of Tanya, a person does Teshuvah. And Teshuvah means you're a new person. Literally. So whether you say, the man I was used to drink, the man I was will drink again, thank God I'm not the man I was. Or you say, I learned a chapter of Tanya, or however you want to phrase it. The point is, (coughs) the definition of Teshuvah is, my situation can be the same, but I am different. In fact, you want to know, according to Gemara, and Poskim, and consequently uh, in Halacha, the definition of teshuva. when you have to ascertain whether somebody did teshuva, Generally speaking, teshuva is between per- a person and Hashem, and other people are not really involved in it. But let's say it's a situation where somebody lost the trust of the community, and we want to know whether they can be reinstated. Let's say, the classic example is like, to be responsible for, for the kashras of food. And the person had lost the trust of the community by, you know, God forbid, uh, doing something wrong in that area. So, how do you know the person did teshuva? So, uh, the sages say when he's in the exact same situation as he was before and he acts differently. So, basically, what are we saying? The paradox of Elul, that Elul is both ordinary and extraordinary, is the essence of Teshuvah. The essence of Teshuvah is can you say honey, baby, sweetie, darling, dolly, like you're on your honeymoon, but you're married for 70 years? If you speak like you're on your honeymoon when you're on your honeymoon, anyone can do that. But when you can do it, when the situation has become old hat, when the newness has died down, that's the essence of Teshuva. I'll tell you even more. <clears throat> it's not just being able to recapture the sensitivity in regular situations, but it's also, regaining sensitivity where the sensitivity was actually destroyed—not just that something became passe and it, it became it lost its luster, but that the sensitivity was actually destroyed. What do I mean by that? The sages say that Adam. That if a person sins, and sins again, then that sin will become as if it's permissible to him. What does that mean? It means that if you never did a particular sin, that red line is really, really, really clear. All you have to do though, is to cross that red line once, and already you start to lose the sensitivity, then you do it twice. Forget it, then it's like it's not even prohibited. So that's what the sages say. If a person sins over vishana and repeats the sin, "Nassa Lakekahheta" becomes as if it were permissible. And the Bali Musa goes as far as to say, and if he'll do it a third time, it'll become as if it's a mitzvah. He'll convince himself he's doing a good deed. That's what I mean by destroyed sensitivity. When we go against the program that Hashem set for us, we lose the sensitivity that's supposed to keep us safe. That's supposed to keep us spiritually connected. And that's very dangerous. I I remember I was a, a teenager. My parents had work being done in the house. There was this subcontractor, this electrician, and he was uh, in the uh, in the kitchen, standing on a like a step ladder, and he was messing with some wires in the ceiling. And I saw him connecting the wires, and then he started shaking. So, like very very abruptly, and violently, he started shaking. So I I, I I I blurted out, "Did you just get shocked?" And he's like, oh, maybe, I don't know. I said, you don't know? He's like, no, I'm not. Yeah, I could have, yeah. He just played it off very casually. I said, doesn't it hurt? <laughs> he says, oh, well, yeah, it used to. Doesn't it hurt? Yeah, yeah, it used to. It used to. So what are, we des- what are we describing when we say lost sensitivity? We don't just mean the regular wear and tear as time goes by things become less exciting. We even mean the loss of sensitivity where sensitivity was actively destroyed by crossing red lines and, and, and losing our innocence. The question is can, can even that be restored? If I crossed the red line and I lost my sensitivity, can I recapture that sensitivity? And the answer is yes. Absolutely you can. And in fact that is on an an even deeper level the parable of the king in the field of Elul. There's a Maimer, a Hasidic discourse from the Rebbe, where the Rebbe connects the Melech Basada, the King in the Field, which is a parable from, from the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya. The Rebbe connects that with a, with a, an, a, a, a teaching from the Tzermach The Tzermach was the third Chabad Rebbe, the, the grandson of the Alter Rebbe. The Tzermach explains the deeper mystical meaning of something from this week's Parsha, from Parsha Kiseitze. In this week's Parsha, it describes a situation about a betrothed maiden who is attacked. And it describes the setting, and there are legalistic reasons why it describes this setting this way, because it doesn't actually literally mean this setting, it's for the sake of building a a legal principle but it sets the attack in a field. If in the field this man will find this betrothed maiden and he grabs hold of her and he violates her. The Tzermach explains this story is an internal story that's going on inside each of us this is actually happening within us we are the ish hasade, and we are the naira hameirosa the man of the field and the betrothed maiden we have two souls we have the animal soul which is self-seeking wants pleasure comfort This is called the Ish HaSada, the man of the field. Then we have the godly soul, which is precious and pristine. She's the betrothed maiden. And who is she betrothed to? To Hashem. She's Hashem's fiance. The godly soul came to the world for a mission. A mission that she's supposed to do for her her fiance for for hashem but what happens she enters the sada the Sada is the field the field means this this world elam haza the physical world which is full of temptations and distractions and confusion and in the sada in the field the animal soul the lower base self the ish hasada grabs a hold of the Naitama Erosa, the betrothed maiden, and forces her to do what she doesn't want to do. Because when the godly soul is in the body, and the animal soul is calling the shots, she's being dragged around through all these experiences that she doesn't want to have. But the verse continues and says, it's not her fault. She's innocent in the matter. She's not to blame. The precious godly soul was not complicit. It wasn't her fault. She was sent to a world where she's plunged into a body. That body is full of of, of passions and and, and, and boiling blood. And, and, And the body takes the godly soul to places she doesn't want to go. But in the end, her fiance, her betrothed, the king, Hashem himself, knows that. He knows that she's innocent. And therefore, when he comes to the very field where she was attacked by the Ish Hasadeh, how does the king react? He doesn't say, oh, look what you've done. Look what trouble you've, you know, you've gotten yourself into. What do we call that in 2019? Victim blaming king doesn't say that. The king says, It's not your fault. You did nothing wrong. You're innocent. I still want to marry you. So the Rebbe comes and connects the Alter Rebbe's teaching with the Tzamech teaching and explains, Melech Basadeh, the king in the field, doesn't just mean that the king accepts us when we're in our everyday workday attire. That's one level. But on an even deeper level the king accepts us the king still wants us even when we've been dragged through the mud We can still become renewed So I want to ask you a little astrology here anyone here likes astrology you know yeah What sign are you Leo Leo last month I'm a Gemini and and I don't believe in astrology because Gemini's don't believe in astrology. (laughs) You get it? It's a deep joke. A Gemini is the twin so it's a contradiction. Mm -hmm. So it's a contradiction to say you don't believe in astrology because your astrological sign (laughs) dictates that you shouldn't believe in astrology. At any rate, what is the sign of Elul? Petula. Petula. Virgo. Very good. The maiden. Remember what I mentioned at the very beginning? There are 12 months of the year. What number is Elul? 12. 12. Isn't that counterintuitive? If I told you there was a month called Betula, called Maiden, you would think that's the first month, second month, third month. But by the time you get to the 12th month, come on! You know, think about how holy we are during the High Holidays and after a few weeks, a few months, I mean, some people make it, uh, you know, half a year, but by the time you get to the end of the year, come on. You think you're so fresh, you think you're so innocent. But that's precisely the message of Elul. That's precisely the message. That you can always renew yourself. You can always make everything as precious and pure as it was the very first time. No matter what you've been through. So I'll tell you a story from my uh, Babi Allah Shalom, And then uh, I think we'll wrap it up. There was once a Kala. A, uh, an immigrant girl who, uh, she got engaged and uh, I'll tell it the way my bubby used to tell it, because this is, the, this is the way she told it. There was the, the Kala was from the Greenhorn family and the Chosen was from the more Americanized family, right? <laughs> the, fam- the family had, had you know, the, one, the real Americans, the ones who came like in, you know, the 1890s, and then you have the ones who came like World War One, that was the way my my bubby used to tell the... I mean, I think it was semi-autobiographical to tell you the truth. At any rate, so she got engaged and the Kala's parents invited over the prospective in-laws, the machatonim, to come over and have dinner. And this poor immigrant girl, they didn't have a lot of money, but they wanted to impress her future uh, in-laws. So they, they made a turkey. What else, you know? A, they wanted to show how American they were, right? So they made a turkey. They baked this turkey. You know, to bake a turkey is a whole day production. It takes hours and hours. And they baked the turkey. And the crowning moment of the dinner was going to be that the Kala was going to walk in on this, with the turkey on the silver platter and place it down at the head of the table with her groomed-to-be, watching, all proud. And she walks in and she's holding the silver platter with the turkey and she trips. And the silver platter goes flying and the turkey topples to the floor. Without missing a beat, the kala's mother says, darling, it's okay. Pick up the turkey, bring it back in the kitchen and bring out the other turkey. <laughs> bring out the other turkey. So that's, that's the, uh, the lesson of Elul, is that no matter what happened, no matter what the disaster was, if you want to ride the wave of the special energy of this month, you can have a whole brand new turkey, you, know, you can have a whole brand new you, you can become a new person, well, like I heard somebody once say that you can start your day over anytime you like. And uh, if you're having a bad day, you can start it over anytime you like. And, I, and, and, and Elul is, you can start your year over, you could even start your life over anytime you want. You can be brand new, fresh, pristine, anytime you want, especially, especially now when the, uh, the time is ripe. Okay, thanks for coming to this brand new, fresh, exciting new class. We'll see if people stick it out, you know.